Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a special guest that I imagine most of you have heard of. It is Kevin Sorbo. I am not going to work through his bio. I hope over the next few minutes we will do this. Uh, many of you saw him as Hercules, which is probably his largest claim to fame. Uh, but he has had over 60 movies and uh, he continues to make movies. And I want to talk about some of those. And again, we will get into that as we move along here. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us at Life Over Coffee. It's good to be here. Um, I know you talk about Hercules, but I'm, I, I I would be remiss if I don't let people know that, you know, I also did five years on Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to let you get away with my 80 hour work weeks when I when I. I did um, be the first captain after Captain Kirk and that Roddenberry uh, uh, family, which is really an honor for me because I grew up as a little kid watching all the reruns of Star Trek back in the 70s and 80s. So it was kind of cool to do that. And it's actually 83 movies now. So that bio, you got a little bit old, I think. We uh, we are a divided home. Uh, I was well aware of the uh, uh, the the uh, Roddenberry <laughs> TV series. Uh, my wife would be a, a, a Trekkie. Uh, I did see Star Wars 25 years after it came out. It's just not my genre. Uh, but I am uh, Hercules. I can totally get into. Uh, but but you're right. You you are the second coming of Captain Kirk, and uh, that that is a uh, that is a big deal. There's several things. I have a lot of questions for you. Uh, sure. but I'm I'm curious. Um, so you've been a Christian or or part of a Christian family all of your life. When did you become sure. a Christian? My whole life. I don't remember not being one. I grew up and my parents were every every Sunday was St. John's Lutheran Church. Every one, Wednesday for me from my teenage years, seventh grade through 12th grade was the room at our church. St. John's Lutheran Church was uh, there. We had a, t- a teen pastor, Pastor Lee, who was awesome. And uh, Wednesday nights, um, it was always in the room. And he 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 I was more intimidated, I think, by a senior pastor. Pastor Sanders was just a scary guy. You know, he was fire and brimstone and breathing was a sin. I mean, he just scared all of us, but Pastor Lee was just a cool guy, you know, a guy in his mid-20s that was really somebody that we could sort of talk to, somebody that you could sort of relate to in a way, and he brought the Bible into our day, into our world, and kind of related stories and stuff, so he was great and hugely instrumental in in my growth, but I'm not a perfect Christian anyway, but I've never stopped believing. I've never stopped, you know, I, I always tell my atheist friends, and I go, well, do something called the grateful prayer. Be grateful you're sitting in a car in traffic. Be grateful you got a car. Be grateful the sun's up. Be grateful you got a pillow. You got running water. I mean, we live in such an ungrateful world right now. And I think the biggest killer, not only in America, is apathy. I think people just, there's just such a fear factor from governments all over the place. And there's just such a give up. You know, people just, oh, they fail once and they give up. And it's, you know, God didn't promise any of us an easy life. And but- uh I, I do appreciate your testimony. Uh, it would be similar to my wife. She was reared in a Christian home, and mm-hmm. she hasn't known anything except for a Christian environment all of her life. And uh, what I tell her is that her testimony is actually better than mine. I was in jail when I was 15 years old. I was part of the pharmacy. I had a pharmaceutical business when I was a teenager, which is kind of a nice way of saying that I smoked a yeah. lot of weed. Yeah. But any idiot can do that. Uh, it takes no strength. It takes no courage. Uh, it, there's there's nothing to be proud of uh, as far as doing the things that I did. 
but what you did, and my wife would uh, also exemplify that, uh, it testifies that the grace of God uh, actually works, that you can be born in a Christian home and and live a pretty decent life all the way yeah. through. And so when I hear testimonies like yours, uh, to me, uh, that's just super encouraging. And that's something that I want our children to know and experience as well, because they did not have my life at all. Now, I was reading that you, uh, in order to uh, uh, make money during your um college days, you became a model. And I just want to say that uh, I worked during my college days as well, but it never crossed my mind to be a model. Uh, so uh, how did that work? I mean, did you intentionally, well, did that did that fall in your lap or did you intentionally go looking for that? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't really modeling per se. So I started really doing commercial work because Minneapolis, where I grew up about 30 miles west of Minneapolis, on beautiful Lake Minnetonka out there. And um, uh, I wanted to be an actor since I was 11 years old. And okay. Minnesota, the Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul area, is national headquarters to, to Dairy Queen, Best Buy, Target, 3M, Pillsbury, General Mills, Cargill. All these companies are there. And so I started doing commercial work. Doing, you know, for, That's how I got my Screen Actors Guild card, was doing commercials. At what um, age? Uh, through my college years, all through my college years. Okay. I, I also, I mean, I did a lot of, I mean, I, I was landscaping during the college summers. I was um, caddying at a private country club during, because I love golf. Um, so I was kind of mixing it up. I mean, it wasn't like I was getting a job every single week, but I was getting enough. And then the print stuff just started happening because Target, of course, does a lot of print things. And so when I was doing their commercials, they say, hey, you know, we're going to do a line of new sportswear or something like that. We want you to be part of it. And the pay was great. And I said, well, why not do it? You know, then I started dating a model because that's who you're meeting on these jobs. And she talked me into when I was done with college, ready to move to L.A. to pursue that actor's dream. She talked me into going to Europe with her and said, you know what? Come to Italy, spend three months in Italy with me before you go to L.A. And I thought three months in Italy, that sounds pretty cool. You know, so uh, we went to Italy and three, three months turned into three and a half years. I lived in Milan, I lived in Paris, in Zurich, in Munich. London. I mean, it really made me grow up. A guy in his 20s, it made me grow up. And I started doing a lot of print ads. It wasn't fulfilling for me. I love doing the commercials. I, I shot about, I must have shot at least 30, 40 commercials over in Europe as well. So I had a great commercial tape and I had no problem when I did move to LA, finally, three and a half years later, um, getting a commercial agent because I already had my, it's all important Screen Actors Guild card, but I had a very good commercial reel. So that wasn't an issue for that. It was just a tougher thing to get a real agent to get you know, movies and TV shows. What happened at 11? I mean, you had this epiphany. How did that happen? Did you want to be an actor? Well, um, Minneapolis is has more theater per capita than than, than New York City does. Um, St. Paul and Minneapolis really support the communities, uh, the arts and all that. And the Guthrie Theater is a very famous theater in Minneapolis. And people in Broadway perform there. And a lot of people start there before moving to Broadway. A lot of plays start there. Like Lion King was in Minneapolis before moving to uh, New York City. So in 11, uh, 11 years old, we had a fifth grade at a field trip to the Guthrie Theater. We took like three buses to get down there. And we went and saw The Merchant of Venice. Now, I was 11. It was Shakespeare. I don't know what the heck they were saying, but I was mesmerized by the actors on stage. And on the way home, my mom was a chaperone. I said, I'm going to be an actor. And she said, 
that's nice, dear. <laughs> so, but the but the seed was set, and uh, I, right. I I really uh, I was a jock, so it was a hard thing to want to be, be admit to my my fellow football and basketball buddies that I wanted to be an actor because we always gave a hard time to the drama class, even though all the drama class had the best looking girls. I was like. I'd rather be in there than talking to you guys. But. Well, the the Shakespearean actors would wear leotards too, and uh, that that's, doesn't that's true. That that doesn't I don't think go, I even paid attention to that. <laughs> that doesn't go well with the athlete. Hey, is that where Garrison Keeler was? Yes, Garrison Keeler. Wonderful okay. radio stuff. Wonderful stories about growing up in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I yeah, I, I listen to him all the time, up until yeah. uh, up until we didn't. But uh, anyway. Uh, I did like his show a lot. Yeah. All right. So uh, you have an incredible amount of courage, which I, I do want to talk about uh, in a moment. But have you ever struggled with fear of man, like insecurity? Uh, you, you, you are a bold uh, individual, but have you always been that way? Yeah, I think pretty much so. My dad and mom were, you know, my very strong willed father. They grew up as a single kid on a farm. They couldn't have any more kids. My grandma so, you know, when family's all around him growing up in the 40s, um, it was our th 30s and 40s for him. Uh, he couldn't he couldn't play sports because he had to be on the farm. The minute, you know, he got up, farm duty, go to school, come back, farm duty until sunset. So it was frustrating for him. He had four boys that were all pretty good athletes. So I think he kind of lived vicariously through us. But um, he was a very strong-willed guy and knew about what hard work was, and he instilled hard work into all of us. In fact, when I was, I'm the fourth of the five kids. I got a sister in the middle. Um, I started a paper out for the Minneapolis Tribune, and when I was in, in, in nine years old, so six days a week for seven years, I got up at four thirty in the morning in Minnesota weather and delivered my eighty newspapers. And so, uh, you know, when I got to be a junior in in high school, I was able to buy my first car with my own money. And as I've told my three kids, I said, when you work hard, just like my dad said, when you work hard and buy stuff like that with your own money, boy, do you appreciate it and take care of it more than somebody just giving it to you. And you, and we live, we live in such a different world, obviously, as you know, today, right. where this entitlement thing, I don't know, it just comes through the media, it comes through movies and television, through this thing called the internet, which is the wild west to me. There's a lot of good things about it, but unfortunately, there's a lot more evil in this internet world than there's anything else. So. Um, yeah, maybe it, uh, our our generation, our generation may be the last. I mean, we're the same age within a few months, and yeah, yeah I mean, I started working when I was ten years old, hauling mm -hmm. hay and bussing tables and just wherever you could, you know, make yeah. a few pennies. Uh, but that was that was a work ethic that was instilled in you, and uh, I we may be the last generation. It certainly started t uh, petering off uh, after yeah. us, and now it's virtually non-existent. I mean. People don't want to work at all. It's, it's really sad. No, it's weird. Yeah. All right. So in the 80s, uh, you you headed toward uh, Hollywood and uh, to get your get your card. And uh, and just how do you do that? I mean, I hear those stories all the time. I mean, it, I guess you you were bussing tables or something. And then. No, no. I'm one of the, I'm one of the few guys that never had to do that. I already had I already had a very good commercial reel. And I got a commercial agent right away. And I started working commercially right away. I, in fact, I, I had like a six-year run there where I was in the top five male uh, commercial actors in the country. I shot well over 100 commercials. 
and um, shot them all over the place. You know, Hawaii, Mexico, Virgin Islands, Europe. I was all over the place. And so I was one of the guys, because I, trust me, I had plenty of, I didn't know anybody when I moved out there, but I already, right. I had I had the commercial agent ready to go. So I didn't have a place to stay. I mean, they're the ones that set me up through a, through a you know, a second, third source to have a place to stay until I could find my own place. And um, I just, I just went out there and I just plugged away. And the guys that I met, the guys I became friends with, friends with mostly other actors, you know, they were athletic like me. We joined basketball leagues. We, I played in three city leagues in California because I was a big basketball nut. So I'm um, working out at the gym all the time, got lucky with a rent control apartment right there in the Santa Monica Venice border. So Gold's Gym was just less than a half mile away. The ocean was less than a half mile away. So um, you know, all the rejection that comes with acting. I just worked worked out at the gym and, you know, did long bike rides, 50 mile bike rides and stuff just to sort of, you know, work out that frustration. But I was very fortunate not to ever have to work another job in L.A. I was very fortunate. I realized that because I saw my buddies selling cars, bartending, busing table, whatever. And uh, I was able to make a very good living. And I realized how fortunate I was to have that happen. Yeah, that is blessed. That is unusual. It seems to be an anomaly. Uh, God yeah. seems to have his has had his hand on your life uh, all the way through. That's encouraging to hear. And when you first went to Hollywood, I mean, Hollywood's never been conservative, uh, but it's it's way it was made way more conservative no. back then than it uh, obviously than it is now. Yeah, it was it was conservative back in the twenties, thirties, and forties. It was mostly conservative. They started things started moving a little bit in the fifties. 60s is when the big change was, when you had the Vietnam War, the Civil Rights, the Welfare Reform Act, the hippie love, the rock and roll, the boost. Hollywood went from really there was no rating system until the 60s. There was no like R rated movies, back, you know, as GPG movies. But then they, they got they got more violent, more, more, more crazy, more insane, more sexual. Um, they started celebrating the, the antihero more than the hero. They, you know, Hollywood you know, used to be. A lot of song and dance and stuff like that. And John Wayne being the good old boy in the soldier movies and also in the Westerns and 60s changed everything. And Hollywood just switched over. It's amazing to me how 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 unbelievably uh, left that that whole um, place has become. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, Charlton Heston was uh, head of the uh, NRA. Right. And uh, Jimmy Stewart, from what I understand, was uh, a very conservative, if not Christian. Yeah. yeah, there was. Yeah, you're 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 right. Um, so uh, as it has continued to evolve, I mean, of course, they wanted to push the envelope as far as what they could put on the, uh, the visual medium. Oh yeah, uh, and, and so they gave. Now we're giving grades, uh, and of course, uh, that's where things have become more and more explicit. But what was the uh, something just dramatically happened? You know, over the last fifteen or twenty years. Yeah. I mean, it's just. It's, it's like we're not even trying to hide anything now. No, they don't care. They don't care. They lie. They 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 prove they're hypocrites every day. Just like the just like the people we put in office in Washington D.C. It's not what the our forefathers asked for or wanted. But Hollywood just went crazily, you know, nuts and crazy. And we even talk about being woke five or six years ago, but that's certainly what was going on. The cancel culture was happening, and now it's just got crazy. But it, it's been driven by. Um, television and movies has been driven by movies and I mean by the by uh, newspapers and magazines and certainly what what Hollywood's doing and politics runs downstream from culture who runs the culture Hollywood does I mean uh, 
Walt Disney said back in the 1950s, movies and television will influence our youth. Well, he was certainly right, and he's flipping over his grave right now with Walt Disney, what the Disney studios are doing with his namesake, because it's crazy. He would never allow what's going on at Disney now uh, if he was still alive. He would go, what are you talking about, you know? Um, so it's just, and they don't seem to care. If you look at the, the Golden Globes, the Emmys, the Oscars, the ratings in the last 10 years go down every single year because people are fed up with it, with these with these big A-list stars getting up there and not being gracious, not being appreciating having a fan base and just say, thank you for this award, God bless, you know, but no, they get up there and they rant about, you know, politics and rant about climate change, rant about all this different stuff. And uh, I remember I did John McEnroe's talk show. People remember he had a talk show for maybe a year before it didn't work. And it was the day before the Bush Kerry election. And he said to me, it was a Monday night before I was on there and I was there to promote Andromeda. And he said, who are you voting for? And I said, I'm not going to tell anybody who I'm voting for. He said, I'm getting tired of these actors going out there and saying, hey, look at me. I'm the person voting for this person. Is, do you honestly think people out in this audience are that dumb that they're going to sit there? Oh, my gosh, if he's saying I should vote for him, he should. And they all applauded. And he kept bugging me and bugging me. And I said, I want to talk about my TV shows. So he finally says, look, let's pretend I haven't decided who I'm going to vote for. Here it is, Monday night, elections tomorrow. And I said, if you haven't decided after one year of all these stupid debates and all these polls, who you're going to vote for, we don't want you to vote because you're a bloody idiot. And he got his face got mad at me, but the audience all cheered for it. But at, you know. at what point uh, did it change? I mean, so let me ask you this. Uh, sure. Was there a temptation to uh, cave to that and become pragmatic? Like, I want this script. And so I have to compromise my values. That seems like some of them are doing that. I'm sure you've had people who have come to you privately and say, you know, keep up the good work, Kevin, but I'm not going oh, yeah. to do that. And I I can understand the tension. I mean, some people just not in a position where they, they're truly thinking about their family. There's financial obligations, and that is a big ask. And I get, I get that tension because we receive that in our ministry all the time. But others will succumb or pander or do whatever they need to because they're really after the script and values don't matter. Did you have that temptation? Well, isn't that sad, though, that that's the case, that people are afraid to speak up because of that? And it's yes. sad that they even have to go down that road. Why can't Hollywood just, you know, if you look up the word liberal or even tolerance, again, liberal means everybody's point of view is okay. We embrace everybody. They don't. They embrace one point. Their tolerance is one-way street. Their freedom of speech is a one-way street. I told you they're hypocrites, and the hypocrites shine through every single day. And you're right. I get people come up to me all the time and movie sets. Because I've do. i done all these indie movies, and they say, hey, thanks for being a voice for us. You know, whether it's a camera guy, a lighting guy, another actor, and very quietly they look around, hey, you know, like we're doing a drug deal, right? You know, it's like, thanks for being a voice for us. And I said, be a voice for yourself. But I said, I can't. I've got blacklist like you. And I said, granted, I will never get invited to do a big Hollywood movie ever again. I'll never get invited to do another big TV series or something like that. But I said, I got so sick of it. I've never not, I've never really censored myself. I, it just, Hollywood okay. just often got even worse from like about 2010 on, about the last 12, 13 years. It's just gotten insane. And my manager and agent about a dozen years ago called me in and said, we can't work with you anymore because you're a Christian and a conservative. I'm wow. And that's when I formed my own company, Sorbo Studio, because I love the industry. I love being around creative people. I love creating the things we create, but I wanted to create stuff that was positive. And 2010 was a big turning point from that. Actually, when I did a movie called What If, 
And I've done over 80 movies. And if people there have not seen What If, it's in my top three of the 80 plus movies I've done. It's the same writers that did God's Not Dead. In my book, a much better movie than God's Not Dead. God's Not Dead, crazy successful. But What If, much better movie, much better. I mean, Dallas Jenkins directed it. He's doing a little thing called The Chosen right now. Yeah, so that little thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's just an amazing, amazing script. And uh, I I feel very blessed being part of that movie. And I tell people all the time, if you haven't seen the movie, you got to see it. And on SorboStudios.com, if people go there, they can get an autographed copy from me or just find out more about it. But that's why I formed Sorbo Studios, because I said, I'm going to keep making movies the way um, I want to make movies, movies that Hollywood used to do with love and hope, redemption, faith, laughter, forgiveness. When Hollywood doesn't forget, we live in a world now that I could say anything about you right now, Rick, and people go, oh, he must have done it. You know, we're guilty now before being proven innocent. It's it's crazy what's going on. And people are allowing this. I, I don't Yeah, that, that's what they say. Uh, lies can make three laps around the earth before truth ever gets his, gets their tennis shoes laced yeah. up. Uh, that, that's unfortunate with social media is good. Technology is good. Cyberspace is good. Uh, but it's also horrible as well. With every good yeah. thing that God gives us, uh, there's bad. So what you're saying is that you actually didn't move. Uh, Hollywood moved. And yeah. so you, you, you've had the same values, the same worldview, the you same philosophy the whole time. But, but it's kind of like, you know, the the liberal today would say the same thing. I mean, we say that they're politically homeless uh, because, you know, they're here. But now the left has just has knocked the walls out and they've they've moved three miles this way. And so, and so the the liberal of today, maybe Bill Maher or, some, or Barry Weiss or whomever, you know, they're still in the same place. Yeah, and so I, I guess yeah. in one, one sense, uh, you're still where Hollywood has been historically. But now they have just gone wild over the past decade. Even Bill Maher, thank God, you know, here's a guy that's all of a sudden going, well, wait a minute, I'm still a liberal, but, you know, even he's admitting this is getting too much. This is just absolutely insane. He's talking about the transgender thing going on. He's talking about the woke, the hashtag me to all the stuff going on. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I, there's, there's two guys at the top of my head, Dennis Miller and John Voight. Huge voices now for conservatives. And they're the ones who said, well, you just said now, I didn't leave the party, the party left me. And I tell all these liberals, uh, hey, you know, I know you're young. You probably wouldn't know who John F. Kennedy was. Oh, yeah, JFK, cool man, good Democrat. I go, go online and look at his 1960 <laughs> inauguration speech. Listen to that. Is there one right. Democrat that talks the right. way JFK talked back then? And what's on his gravesite from that speech? Ask not what your government can do for you, but what right. you can do for your government. And we don't have that. They don't have a Democrat saying that at all. Right now, the Democrat Party is... We want to take care of you from cradle to grave. We know what's best to do with you. We know what's best to, how to spend your money. I mean, look at it. Most people got to work six months a year just to pay taxes. They'll take six months, but they're going to let you keep five or six months of that year. They'll, they'll let you do that. But we know what to do with half your income because we, we're much more smarter than you are. It's, it's really it's sad and it's unbelievable what's going on. And we're going to keep fighting. And people need to wake up. I'm here to wake up the lions because the sheep are always going to be the sheep. So uh, you you got like 1.8 million followers on Twitter. Are you going to get your Facebook page back? I wish I could because I had over a couple million people on Facebook and they took me down for speaking the truth. They actually owed me to take it back because everything I said that they called misinformation, of course, is true now. It's been proven to be true. And I know other people they took down that they gave back. But I think because like, I keep calling Zuckerberg a wuss. And his trolls are the same thing that they don't want to bring me back. So I know Musk is going to do that 
cage match or something with Zuckerberg, I'm more than happy to do that with Zuckerberg as well to get my get my Facebook back. I posted the truth. One of the things I said on um, on on a uh, on my Twitter account, I said I need more conspiracy theories from all of you because all mine came true. Yeah, we have we have run out of them. Are you talking to Facebook? Are they talking to you? Not at all. They want to. If I go on Facebook right now, it says you've been banned. You can't come on. I mean, I can't even get on there to form a new one. There's been a couple people that have pretended to be me, and um, I've had other people. I said, "Can you get those people down?" I mean, they're not they're not being mean or anything because they sent me, the, you know, some links of what these guys are doing. But they're trying to make money off of my name, and um, it's. I said, "You guys, I don't know how they got in there, and my name." Being on, there wasn't enough to ring a flag with them. But on my account here, if I try to get on my computer, forget it, can't get on. All right. So you're quite vocal in the conservative space and, and politics sure. and culture and so forth. Uh, when did that start? Well, the first time I could vote, um, I voted for Ronald <laughs> Reagan, <laughs> 1980, uh, when I was old enough to vote. So um, my I, I did. I did. I did, too. And, and I mean, no offense by this. But I just couldn't get my mind around voting for an actor. Uh, I, and I, of course, I'm glad that I did. I, I love Pretty Ronald smart Reagan. smart guy. He was a darn good governor, too, for California. I, I, I love, well, this is the stereotype of, of, you know, how can an actor be a politician? Yeah. But now when I think about it, oh, it makes perfect sense. Uh, all of them are actors. But no, Ronald Reagan was an outstanding. Um, yeah. I, I just... I just have a lot of affection for him. I wrote Nancy a, le a letter after uh, Ronald had Alzheimer's, but she said at one point, you know, this is not uh, the happy ending that she uh, had expected uh, no, as he began not. to lose his mental faculties. And, you know, I, I mean, I just cried because I, you know, yeah. I just appreciate what he uh, did for the country and uh, just yeah. the way that he presented himself and, and his uh, way of, you know, being a president. So I really, I grew to respect him, even though initially uh, I did have a hard time putting actor and president in the, in the same category. So, but that that's just a vote. You voted. But when did you become vocal? I don't think I was never not vocal. I think that's, uh, <laughs> well, no, because I never, I never hid from it and stuff like that. I remember, I remember you know, being even on the set of Hercules because I was down in New Zealand, which is a very socialist country. And I would remind the actors down there that hated me for being conservative, but they still liked working with me. And I said, yeah, but you like the money you're making. You realize that Hollywood is a capitalist business. You, they can scream all they want about socialism, but you are making your money from like my sidekick, Michael Hurst, who's number one, an atheist. Number one, he's a total communist. Yet he's making a lot of money every year because of Hercules at bottom is beautiful house there in Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, but, you know. Here's a guy that doesn't even want to be friends with me anymore because of my stance. I don't have that kind of anger, hatred towards people with a different opinion. I don't. I'm all, I'm all for freedom of speech. Right. And yet the left, more than anybody else, wants to get rid of freedom of speech. They want only their speech. You cannot have a, a say in these things. And that's the thing that makes me probably angry. And their arguments are never, never really, they're always full of holes. And they all they, you know, they all they say is you're wrong. They won't tell you how they're wrong. But they they just they they figure if they yell louder, that makes them right. You know, so if they're more angry, that makes them right. But you know, and, and not surprisingly, when you get people like George Soros and other very wealthy billionaires out there that support this, because I look at these A-listers out there that scream for, you know, climate change, which I call weather, by the way, and they all these other things, they go crazy, but and scream for socialism, yet 
they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm not going to, people know who these A-list stars right, are, the right, name name. Right. And I'm going, they can say that because they can afford to be it. But they made it their money through capitalism and they live a capitalist life. They fly private planes. They say walls don't work, yet their homes are surrounded by walls. I mean, as I said, once again, hypocrisy rules. I mean, truth isn't like kryptonite to these people. It's unbelievable. Yeah, there is a running contradiction that's uh, rather explicit. Uh, So when you look at your uh, daytimer, are you, uh, I mean, you're very busy as far as doing what you do with your production company, your writing books, your end movies, directing movies, your wife has her YouTube channel. Y'all got a lot going on in the media field. And so what's the uh, mix as far as your, let's say, activism versus your day job? Because uh, you seem like you're doing a lot as far as speaking out against the culture. Well, I think it's mostly through the Internet that I'm doing that. I'm just, I'm just posting sarcastic truth <laughs> to make fun of the, you know, Babylon Bee is one of my favorite places to read. The Babylon Bee guys do fantastic work. Seth Dillon lives just down the road from me in Florida. But um, I just, you know, it's not... It's funny because I've been asked to run for office more than once over the last 10 years, and I have zero interest in doing that. So that's got to be the worst job in the world. I just have no interest. But um, really, my biggest job for me is just trying to raise money for my movies. Um, You know, I do independent movies. I do like $3 million budget movies, and people are $3 million. Wow, that's catering budget in Pirates of the Caribbean or uh, Avatar. Those are $300 million movies. Then they have $100 million to promote it and put their trailer in every football game, soap opera, every television show. So we have a battle against what Hollywood's doing, and I'm trying to do that. There's other companies. You know, the Irwin Brothers do great stuff. The Kendrick Brothers. um, You know, Cindy Bond is a fantastic producer. She's she produced that movie, I Can Only Imagine, that Dennis Quaid was in. And there's just so many people that are trying to fight this onslaught. This, I did a documentary with John Lennox, who's an apologist, and it's called Against the Tide, because we are going against the tide. And the tide is the evil. It's got the 666 stamp on every surfboard out there, you know. So um, we got we to we fight on our hands. And to me, I'm just going to keep on fighting the good fight and do movies with a positive message. You mentioned Hercules earlier when you introduced me. I don't get stopped because of Hercules or Andromeda. 80% of the time, it's because of God's not dead. What if? Let there be light, soul surfer. People say, please make more movies like this. Well, I'm doing it, but I'm doing the best I can to get word out. Like my my latest movie is Miracle in East Texas. I need people. We got one weekend. It's a lower budget movie, but it doesn't look low budget. Trust me, it's a fantastic movie. It's a true story set in 1930 about two con men played by myself and John Ratzenberger that went through Oklahoma and Texas, wooing widows out of their money on fake oil wells. All right, John, Luke Gossett Jr.'s in it, Tyler May, my wife Sam's in it. It's won 10 film festivals. It won Best Romantic Comedy at one, won Best Faith Movie, another one, Judge's Favorite, another one, Audience Favorite, Miracle in East Texas. If you go to sorbostudios.com, sorbostudios.com, you can see the trailer, and I'm urging people to buy tickets now because if we fill up those two days that we have, with all it's the biggest budget we got to put get two days on 750 movie screens across America, put in your zip code. It shows you what's showing you here. We need to buy these theaters out. We need to fill them up. That's the only way, like God's not dead. Same thing happened. That gave them a second week, third week, fourth week, and then we ended up going like four months. And we need people to spread the word. And that's what happened with Sound of Freedom. Same thing happened right. with Sound of Freedom. It was word of mouth. It was the push, the push, the push. And we need that same thing for this to be successful because you know as well as I do, these theater theater owners don't care what they show. They want to sell sodas and popcorn. If you're coming, they'll keep that movie in there forever. So we need people to support this movie. 
Yeah, I want to get into what you're doing. One question, one final question on the Hollywood side. Uh, is there any hope for that industry out there in California or are we just going to have to build blue and red economies? And so you and uh, Angel Studios, uh, the Kendrick Brothers, other people, I mean, you're you're building a strong network as far as conservative movie base. But is first, is there any hope for what's going on in Hollywood or are they going to continue to deteriorate? I got to pray that there is. I got I to gotta think that there is a turning point, turning of the tide, because um, otherwise, I don't know where we're going to be. And just the fact that I get all these different people when I shoot movies come up and say thanks for being a voice. And I've seen more of them now becoming more vocal and, and saying enough is enough. I, I love the fact that Mark Wahlberg is really out there now speaking up. You know, Neil McDonald's very open about his Christian faith and how he won't do certain movies and things like that. So more people are definitely speaking up, which is which is great news, I think. And because how many how long can Disney keep going? They're going to lose over a billion dollars right. this year. How 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 long can you stay in a business if you're losing that kind of money by constantly making these woke movies? Because people are just sick and tired of it. They're, you're always going to get that one that that you know that forty percent that are locked in that world and they'll just do anything that has to do with uh, over sexualization and violence and hate and anger. I mean, they it, it's 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 you know it's it's a very evil satanic world out there right now. The devil's laughing, and like you know, like you said, I think the, the greatest. I think the devil did was make people believe he didn't exist, you know, and he's he's definitely out there and having a pretty good time right now. So, um, you know, I'm just fighting back the most I can. And, you know, Jesus said, you know, you follow me and you will be you'll be vilified. You'll be attacked. So it's there. But I I, I, I don't care. I'm going to keep fighting. and I love the movies that I do. Yeah, truth stands and truth ultimately will stand. Non-truth yeah. will collapse on you. Uh, we're seeing that in the uh, transgender prob- uh, tran- uh, transgender uh, yeah. issue now is that, you know, like Chloe Cole would be an illustration of that, that sure. I, I want to become this, then I become this, and then that just collapses in on you. It's a very sad story. And there's hundreds and hundreds of other stories like that as well. But was the same with the uh, the media industry. I mean, you can run that way if you want to, but eventually it's just going to collapse on you. So you started, you decided your answer was to build your own studio and to mm-hmm. just start doing your own thing. And so, in fact, in our show notes, we'll have kevinsorbo.net. Uh, you can go there and there's a ton of information here uh, that Don't you can go to kevinsorbo.net. I'm sorry. That's what I'm reading here. I know, but I want Sorbo Studios. That's the that's the newer updated one. Sorbostudios.com okay. is a better place to go. There's stuff from KevinSorbo.net, but that's really that the European fan club that runs that. A lot of stuff there. Not because they run away, but Sorbostudios.com has my wife and my stuff on there. And that stuff, that is that's just far more information on it. Okay, uh, this will be the only time I'll use this word today in this context, but cancel that, please. Uh, <laughs> It is uh, Sorbo Studios. Let me type that in so yep. I don't uh, forget it. Uh, .net. You, you know, you do have a lot com, of... .com. .com. Yeah, uh, com. You do have you, a lot you, you just mentioned something that's going on with the kids today. I have a book that just came out. I don't know if you, you heard about, you know, Kirk Cameron did a book with Bray Books and he went to speak at public libraries reading it. Yes, you yes, know, yes. Yeah, yeah. He got attacked by like, oh, we can't, you, we're not counting. But they were, these same libraries are happy with with uh, drag queens coming in to read the six-year-olds. They don't want Kirk Cameron because apparently he's really scary to Kirk Cameron to read the kids. It's much better for drag queens. Well, I walked, I always talk about Wake Up Alliance. So Bray Books, same company came to me. 
and said, we want to do a book with you. It's called The Test of Linehood. And this book is, um, it is, uh, it is about letting boys grow up to be boys. Let boys be boys and let them grow up with strong father figures that they become strong fathers themselves, strong, uh, you know, uh, suppliers and, and protectors of the family. Um, you know, I'm not taking anything from, from the mother. Um, her part in the family is important as well. They just have different jobs to do in that family unit. And we're trying to break up the family unit. Uh, BLM came out with their manifesto and their, their number one thing on their manifesto was to get rid of the family unit. Right. We are Marxists. They admit it. We get. We need to get rid of God. We need to get rid of. Uh, they equated uh, being pregnant to slavery, and I thought, well, that's interesting. So if every woman stopped having babies, then well, Bill Gates will have his wet dream come true because there'll be a, no more people living on the planet any longer. There'll be a, a, there'll be no more human life. Uh, don't get me going on Bill Gates and Fauci. I think those guys should be in prison for what they've right. done. Right. I world. think, that, well, the Chinese have realized now that that's a problem with the one child policy that oh, yeah. uh, now, now they don't even have a working class. All right. So I'm at uh, sorbostudios.com. By the way, that is a much, that's a much better website. Uh, it's just, it's so beautiful and there's a ton of information. And is your wife's name Samantha? Actually, it's Sandra, but she's the fourth of four girls, and her mom always wanted a boy named Sam. So he started. She started calling him Sam. Her Sam when she was just like one years old, and that's what stuck. So yeah, okay, when people so, say Samantha, they go, "No, it's Sam." So well, yeah, I, I made that assumption, but uh, yeah, me too. Sam, I would have made the same thing. <laughs> y'all actually met uh, on a, at a a shoot, right? We met on Hercules. Yeah. Every episode they sent down a very pretty girl for me to work with. So it was a great dating service for me. And then uh, season four, <laughs> she came down there and it was all over. I knew, <laughs> I knew like that. It was all over. And I, is, I, is she put I the move wore on, her down. Pardon? Is she, she put the move on Herc. Well, I put them, I'm a big flirt. So I put the move on her. So it's, uh, <laughs> I wore her down. That's been, we've been together, married 25 years and three kids, 22 and 19 of my boys and my daughter's uh, seven. How, how many kids you say? Three. I had three. Okay. Yeah. That's really phenomenal. So you were, you were married in 1998, right? Yeah. I was married in 1990. Uh, congratulations on your 25th, by the way. Yeah. Um, in Hollywood, you know, if you make it to 10 years, that's like a golden anniversary. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Uh, congratulations on your 2.5 golden anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> See, it is a you did good math. Even if going to public schools, you're able to do math. That's shocking. Uh, you could tell I went to public school. That was obvious. But uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, it, yeah, so I was married in 97 and uh, we have three children as well. And God's been very kind to us. Uh, so you, you're uh, how many how many hours a week you're working? Like now? Yeah. Oh man, on Hercules, it was, it was you know it was fourteen hour days on set and oh, so hours. that was like that was like part time compared hour, to what you're doing hour now. Hour and a half lifting Now I work I work every day, seven days a week. My biggest thing is trying to raise money. It re really is. I mean, I I'm always trying. I mean, every time we've been fortunate enough to raise money for the next movie, it's always been a god thing. I mean, Miracle in Texas coming out. I did a speaking event and I was signing my book afterwards, and a guy waited in line patiently. He got up there, slid a piece of paper at me, and said, "Can you make a movie with that amount?" I looked at it and I said, yes, I can. And that's how Miracle East Texas was made. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Where'd the, where the, uh, screen, uh, the, the uh, script come from? Uh, Dan Gordon. Dan Gordon is an Oscar-nominated writer. Great writer. Um, he came in. My wife wrote Let There Be Light, which had a four-month run in the theaters. And uh, I directed that one as well. 
uh, Dan Gordon did the rewrite on it. We became friends. And uh, I've got three other of his scripts right now I'm trying to raise money for. But uh, he wrote the script a long time ago, uh, originally for Robert Redford and Paul Newman to do their third movie together, Butch Cassidy and then The Sundance Kid and The Sting. And uh, it never it never happened. And so he brought it to me and I read it and I said, we got to get this movie made. And uh, so that's how the whole thing just came together. He He's an Oscar-nominated writer. He wrote The Hurricane for Denzel Washington. He wrote Whiter, Kevin Costner. He wrote 60 episodes of Highway to Heaven for Michael Landon. So just a great writer. And uh, um, hopefully, if you got people that are listening right now, look, I've never lost any of my investors' money. I do in the $3 million range. Much better chance of making your money back than these. Once you get in the $30, $40 million range or above, it's tough to make your money back. Um, and you look at Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom needed to make $50 million to break even. They're much better. They had they had a, they had a good twenty million already invested into it, plus another ten million in promotion money. So they they had a bigger bigger budget of money to work with. But um, that thing just ended up taking off because Angel Studios has a lot of power to tell people to buy buy tickets. So um, you know they got they're behind the chosen and other wonderful projects. And then when they tell their followers to buy tickets, their followers listen to them. So now you um, have a relation you have a relationship with Dallas, right? Didn't y'all do something together? Yeah, what if we did the movie What If together? Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, I know that uh, last time I saw him was about a year ago when I was in Fort Worth because they live in Texas now. That's where they film. They film in Utah, but they film most of it now. They built a large set outside of Dallas. So, yeah, I think uh, one one of the blessings uh, in the last uh, fifteen years or so is that the Christian movies that do come out are spectacular. I mean, they're really good movies. Yeah, they're production value has gone so much better than it used to be. They used to be cheesy. Now the storylines are great. The acting's good. The writing's fantastic. And, you know, camera work is like anything else. You got a lot of people want to work. There's a lot of talented people out there. And um, so, you know, without worrying about visual effects, I love doing movies that I call actor movies. So that's kind of what uh, the world that I like living in. And I'm going to keep making movies like that. Just we need people out there. I got good scripts, guys. Let's work together. Yeah, I mean, you got half the country at least, uh, and I I do think that people like uh, a movie with a story in it and good character acting yeah. uh, as as opposed to a Marvel movie, and uh, and on your end, as you're saying, if you could do a movie for three million, uh, the ROI on that movie can be really great, uh, yeah. which leads to making well, you know, even the one movies. guy who put two million dollars into uh, God's Not Dead it made one hundred forty million dollars, so <laughs> you did okay. <laughs> That's that's a good investment. All right, where are you going? You're in New York right now. Um, I'm in New York. You, what did you yeah. just wrap up? I just well, I, I did. I had a bunch of uh, uh, interviews in uh, New York City. I'm out in Long Island now. I just did a charity golf. People that know me know that I'm a golf nut, and uh, I just did a charity golf event with Joe Namath. I leave tomorrow. I got a speaking event down in in Houston. Then I come back up here again for more, and then I'm going to Oklahoma City to uh, screen my movie to about 400 oil people down there in Oklahoma City. And then I've got uh, five more speaking events for this year out. I do a lot of pro-life speaking events. And I've got one in Kansas City, one in Lake Tahoe, one in um, Chicago, one in, uh, where's the other one coming? Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, yeah, I got a pretty busy schedule to finish out the year. Yeah, I think it's important as people listen to this, they need to pray for you and uh, pray for Sam. I mean, again, we're the same age. Uh, I don't travel nearly that much. We're leaving in the morning to go to Canada for 10 days for a conference. Uh, but I find that quite exhausting, but I'm not Hercules either. All right. So uh, Miracle in East Texas is coming out uh, October the 29th and 30th. And if you go to sorbostudios.com, 
you can get a lot of information here, including pay, pay it forward, uh, get your tickets and uh, let other folks know. There's a lot of media stuff here, too, at this uh, website. Uh, and so also, you can, uh, you can go to BraveBooks, BraveBooks.com as well. You can pick up the book that just came out with BraveBooks, The Test of Lionhood. And it's about letting boys be boys. It's a wonderful story. There's no bashing of anybody in there. It's just a wonderful story about his little little boy who helped save his little sister's life. It's just a wonderful, wonderful story. Did you write that book? I co-wrote it with the people at Brave Book. We came up with the ideas together and went over all of all the writing. And yeah, I have two books that I wrote. I wrote a book called True Strength. My journey from Hercules to mere mortal and how nearly dying saved my life, chronicling the uh, the, the four strokes that I suffered on the set uh, of Hercules back in season five. Oh, that's and, right. They had to reduce your uh, your time. Yeah, the last the, two the, seasons were, were, yeah, I went from a 14-hour day to one-hour day and slowly worked up. Then my wife and I did a book together, came out a couple of years ago, called True Faith, which is a sequel to True Strength. Yeah, how's your health? Great. Great. It took me three years to fully recover, um, but, but uh, I, I made it. I was very fortunate. You know, I had an aneurysm way up here in my right in the uh, the, the artery that feeds into the arms. But uh, a movement of my neck made, um, they call it retrograde flow, when the blood for a second flows the other way. And it sent four strokes into my brain. So the speech came back pretty quickly, but it took me four months to learn how to walk and balance again. It took me three years to fully recover. Wow. And uh, your what was what you shoot today? Uh, Eighteen holes. Well, it was, it was a scramble. So you're playing with you know four okay. of the guys. You're taking the best ball every time. I'm I'm a good golfer. I'm like a six handicap. So my game is between like seventy five and eighty two. That's pretty much what my game is. So I'm decent. Yeah, that's not economical. Uh, it's actually better to shoot like one fifteen. Uh, then it, it costs less per stroke. Uh, That's right. That way you play a more expensive game than I That's do. That's okay. I, I get my money's worth. Uh, this is Kevin uh, Kevin Sorbo. Uh, you can find him at Sorbo Studios. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are on Twitter, uh, he, he is worth the follow. I would encourage you to do that. Kevin is very encouraging because uh, f fear is, is for sale. And there's a lot of us that there's a lot of us that are buying it and just hearing you, your courage, uh, the grace of God in your life as it's activated and uh, you you will not be quiet. And uh, that's really encouraging for us. And these are the examples that people actually cry out for that, you know, where are those voices and to see those that are willing to stand up and make sacrifice. Uh, it's just encouraging for the for the small guy, for the rest of us out here. So I appreciate your example. And hopefully this will embolden folks in many different ways, particularly uh, the book that you just described earlier. Uh, it sounds quite interesting. And, and this movie coming out, I do think that we need to be very supportive of the movies. Uh, Thank you. You, you're friends with Jim Caviezel, right? Yeah, we had the same manager for many years, playing the same basketball league together. And we were neighbors the last 10 years I was in L.A., um, I left five years ago. I live in Florida now, but the last 10 years, we were not, we were only like a couple blocks apart. Yeah. And so there's just a group of Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, Kirk, obviously, I know you're friends yep. with Kirk, him. Kirk was it? my neighbor as well. His kids and my kids actually were in the same track team and stuff. So, you know, you left California bef before it was fashionable. Uh, yeah. Was that, was that because of what's going on? Uh, well, people have been leaving for a long time, but I mean, they've lost 6 million people in the last 10 years, but it's really accelerated the last three or four years. But no, five years ago, we just got tired of it. I got tired of the traffic, the taxes, the politics. I just hate, I just said, why are we here? I shoot, I, I've shot over 80 movies and probably 70 of those I shoot in Texas or further east. 
why are we dealing okay. with this? You know, so we we have both have family here in Florida, and we've always been coming out, and uh, it's been a great move. I I love that. I love that we left. I miss my home, California, but beyond that, they they've wrecked the beautiful state. Yeah, they have. Uh, the the last remaining thing is weather. That's what they always say. Yeah, but you, yeah. but but California is a conservative state. You just have blue cities. I mean, you can, yeah. there's so many places you can go in California where I mean the people are great and yeah. Uh, but but once you head into the blue cities, uh, it's a whole nother yeah. story. Well, and look how LA is falling apart. Look at San Francisco. You know. Yeah, the I mean, last time we were in San Francisco was in 2016, and uh, love San Francisco, but I have no desire to go back. Yeah. Nope, I'm done. Anyway, I got a roll, but I got another interview coming up in six minutes. So I got to I gotta go. All right, my brother. Stay busy. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. God All bless. right. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.